Well, before we begin our study together, let's pray. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. I want to continue with the theme that I was speaking about last week, the importance, the prophetic importance of Jews and Gentiles together in a Messianic congregation and the idea that God wants to restore the Jewish people, but as the prophet Isaiah communicates to us, God's commitment to restore the Jewish people is not the full measure of what he wants to do. He wants to bring his spiritual revival to the Jewish people, but he also wants to see the nations revived as well. And it's not an either or, it's a both and. And I'm so grateful for Dexter Siegler who helped me communicate the idea of big and fast together, taking one goal and adding another one to it and enlarging uh, together through synergy the power of each of these goals. So um, if you didn't get a chance to be with us on Friday or Saturday last week, feel free to listen on the podcast and uh, you'll learn things about Dexter Siegler you never knew. Well, this week's Torah portion has many different topics, and I want to focus on a theme that's in Numbers chapter 32 that describes the allocation of land to the children of Israel. And it basically says this, each tribe will get its land. And those with more people will get more land, and those with less will get less. But each tribe will get an allocation of land. And then a question arises. It's a very important question. Because there were two tribes in particular, Reuben and Gad, that planned to settle on the eastern side of the Jordan. They were not going to cross over and be in... uh, on the western side with the rest of the children of Israel. And that desire, that request even, raised questions. And it raised questions about their loyalty. Uh, and it had two dimensions. If, if you want to be over there, do you want to be loyal to the God of Israel? Or are you going to be loyal to another God? And a second question is, are you going to be loyal to the people, Israel? Or are you going to become an adversary, be disloyal to us and um, not stand with us? And so it, it caused there to be these two questions. Will they remain faithful to God and will they remain faithful to the other tribes? And the, the scripture gives us an unfolding of how that uh, quite, those questions were raised and then how they were solved. And it's, it's quite interesting to me because many people don't get practical in, in the areas of commitment, faithfulness, and loyalty. And they just say, well, I promise. I promise I'll be good. I promise I'll do this. As if the promise itself is, is enough but the, the rest of the tribes weren't looking just for a promise. They wanted to see a demonstration. 
And I think that word demonstration is really important. They wanted to see a demonstration of faithfulness and loyalty, and they came up with some ways to demonstrate it. One was, you can serve in the military. You can serve in the military for Israel, and in that way, you will, you will fight with us, You'll fight for us. You won't just be fighting for yourselves, but you will actually um, show through your service that you're as concerned for the well-being of all the people as you are concerned for the well-being of yourselves. And, okay, you want to live over here, but we want to see that you count yourself with us and that you will stand with us and shoulder the responsibility with us and make this such a priority that you don't even start settling in your place until you help the rest of us settle in our place. That was a demonstration that the children of Israel came up with, and it was acceptable. And so because of that, uh, the allocations on the eastern side of the Jordan River were permitted um, on, under those certain conditions. So that's interesting to me, how the scripture describes the controversy, describes the exception, because sometimes we think of uh, there being one way of doing things. When you think of the children of Israel living in the land of Israel, you're probably not thinking of them living on the other side of the Jordan. But in fact, they did. Well, then... There's, a, there's another very interesting theme that's connected to this. And it's the story of Caleb, or Caleb, um, who, who God said could go into the promised land along with Joshua because they were so faithful to him in their generation. And remember, these guys were two among 12 spies, who came back with a good report. But I want to read to you from Numbers chapter 32, verses 11 and 12. You can turn there if you have a Bible with you. And it says, because they have not, because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of those who were 20 years old or more when they came up out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if you were 20 or older when you left Egypt, when God redeemed the children of Israel, brought them out of slavery, and you wanted to go into the promised land, here's the bad news. You're not going in because you haven't been faithful. God said, I brought you out, but I'm not going to bring you in. So it's not that he's condemning them. He's just saying, like he said to Moses, you're not going to go in. And then, verse 12, not one of them will go in, except, I like that word, except, except Kalev, the son of Yefuna, the Kenezi, or Kenezi, and Joshua, son of Nun. For they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. That word wholeheartedly is so important. They followed the Lord with all of their heart. They kept their hearts focused on him. They weren't divided in their hearts, and they weren't torn in their hearts. So you have this, uh, this idea, the Lord is looking for wholehearted people. That's important to us. 
And he says to um, all that generation, you weren't wholehearted with me. You were torn. You were divided. Your loyalties were divided. Your emotions were divided. Your heart was divided between me and other things that pulled you away. You, you, you became grumblers. You became uh, rebels. You even worshipped other gods. You tolerated so many things like that in your own hearts. And the Lord says, I, I want to bring people in a different condition into the promised land. I want people who are wholehearted to go in. And so of your generation, of those 20 and up, just two go in, only two. Now, l- let's just check as a show of hands. How many are in this room who moved to Jacksonville, came to Jacksonville when you were 20 or older? Okay, most of us. And what if none of us get to go, you know, into the next phase of life? That'd be disappointing, wouldn't it? And it was sort of like that. God was saying, I have looked at you and I found you lacking in this way. You haven't been wholehearted with me. And so here's, here's the consequence. You are not going to go into the land. Now, I want to make that clear. So your tribes will have their land allocation, but you won't go in. Your people will go in, but you won't go in. So this is a time of uh, great distinction that the Lord is giving. Now, at the same time that we're reading about this, it's interesting to think about Caleb. There's, there's some debate in the Jewish world as to his ethnicity. Because the text, it, this text and others, uh, seems to be saying that Caleb was from a different people group, uh, the Kenazi, not from the Israelis, and that he wasn't a native-born Israelite. Now, there are some who say, no, he was, and others who say he wasn't, but there, there's reason to believe that he wasn't a native-born Israelite. What's so interesting if he was, in fact, an, uh, from, the, from the Edomites, not the Israelites, what's interesting is he's one of only two of that age who's chosen to go in. So you have this picture. I want you to get this. This connects to the, the theme that, that we started exploring last week, that it's not enough for Jews to inherit the earth, if you will, or the kingdom of God. God is looking for Jewish people to be revived, restored, renewed, and fully functioning in his kingdom. But that's not enough. If all the Jewish people came to the Lord, it wouldn't be enough. Because God is interested in the whole world, and he said it's too small to just leave it at that, he wants to enlarge it to include people from other nations. Now, regarding things like that, where the Lord speaks prophetically about things in the future, he often gives glimpses from the past or from the current situation 
where you can see that things are, there are examples. They're what I would call a prophetic anticipation of something. I mentioned that our congregation, which has people from many different uh, ethnic backgrounds, Jews and Gentiles, many different language groups, many different Jewish backgrounds, many different nationalities here. But what unites us together is our love for Messiah and our love for each other as well, and our desire to be together. And this, this synagogue in this way is a prophetic anticipation of God's plan to make disciples of all the nations of the world and the Jewish people. So we put it into practice here. We do it on a small scale here. We do it with a few here because that's who we are. And, and, but God is saying to us, take heart. What I'm doing in your midst is what I plan to do in the whole world. So keep your eyes focused and keep your hearts focused. So with that in mind, if we look back and we're reading Numbers 32 about uh, Kalev, he is, let's, for the, for the sake of, um, of, of this time, let's just say Kalev is likely not a native-born Israelite. But he's an honored man among the Israelites. He has a place with the children of Israel. And he has an honored place with the children of Israel. He's not just tolerated. Do you see that? He's held up as an exception. He is exceptionally worthy. Caleb, Caleb is a great example of how to be a son of Israel, even if you're not born into Israel. I remember there was a period in my life where I was, uh, oh, it was 30-some years ago, 35 years ago, I was praying, Lord, Give me two good men to stand with me. It, it seemed like faithful men were hard to find sometimes. But the Lord was surrounding us with faithful women. And once I said, my best men are women. And it was, a, it was just an attempted, you know, humor. But there are times when um, Gentiles can be our best Jews. That doesn't mean that everybody should just run off the deep end because Gentiles in a Messianic congregation are also the most vulnerable to making too much of um, Jewish traditions and uh, extra-biblical understandings and then going off the deep end. And the Jews are less likely to do it. So... um, I'm just telling you the truth. But I want to get back to Caleb. Caleb was a great son of Israel. Even if he wasn't native born, he was, he was a great citizen of Israel. And he was a great man who was part of the Jewish community, of the community of the faithful among uh, the God of Israel's people. So there's no, there's no question that Caleb is loyal to God. And there's no question that Caleb is loyal to the people of God as well. 
So the controversy that Reuben and Gad uh, stir up about where they want to live never applies to Caleb. Isn't that interesting? And, and let's say Caleb is uh, not native-born. He's from people who connect to Abraham, but not through Isaac and Jacob. But he is held as a trustworthy, more than trustworthy, an exceptionally faithful and wholehearted man. When there's a question about two out of 12 tribes, one-sixth of the Jewish people going, you know, getting a land allocation, it's like, I don't know if this is going to work with those guys. You know, they're a little questionable. I don't know if they're going to be faithful or not. And some were convinced, Pinchas being one of them, as we'll read at other times, that they weren't faithful. Now, there's something else that's interesting. Caleb appears, appears, I think, as a man without a tribe who is then adopted into the tribe of Judah and receives the land allocation among the tribe of Judah. And that's described just in simple terms in the book of Joshua, chapter 15, verse 13. And you might want to make a note of it. But it, it says that in accordance with the Lord's command to him, Joshua gave to Caleb, son of Yephunneh, a portion in Judah. Now, if you don't think about it clearly, you might not even notice it. But all the people who are part of the tribe of Judah get a portion in Judah. So it wouldn't make any sense to call this out as an unusual detail unless it is an unusual detail and it is an unusual detail. So this is how I think the text is presenting it. Joshua makes an official allocation for Caleb with Judah, even though, Josh, even though Caleb is not of Judah by birthright. But he is of Judah by consensus because Judah recognizes him as one of their brothers and even chooses him to be one of their representatives. So it's interesting, isn't it? To, th to think of Caleb in this way. But it's also interesting from a prophetic point of view because it's an anticipation of what God wants to do. He wants the Jewish people to receive all of his promises and to be fully restored. But he also has a place for those who were not born Jewish to be with the Jewish people. Paul to, tries to describe that several times uh, in his epistles to uh, Gentile communities when he says that you were aliens, you were foreigners, you had no hope, you didn't have a covenant with God, but you have been brought in, you who are far away have been brought in, and you have been uh, adopted, and now you are heirs together. Now you're family. You're not outsiders. Now you're insiders. And you share in the family inheritance. Um, it, it, it uses in, in the Greek a word that can be translated, you're now a citizen, or you have, you have legal rights and legal standing in the community of faith, which is Jewish. Even if you're not Jewish, you have a place. 
And so Paul was careful to say that to the faithful followers, but he was also careful when he wrote the Romans, uh, the Roman believers, to say, don't be ignorant and um, don't be haughty. Don't think that you've replaced anyone you haven't. You've been included, but it's not that your inclusion has come because other people are just excluded. It's not that the Jewish people are excluded now, and now you're included. It's that room has been made, and you're a wild olive. That's the um, metaphor that Paul uses. And you've been grafted into the cultivated olive tree. And everybody who's involved in uh, olives or um, vineyards or any kind of fruit grove knows that you might use a wild tree for rootstock because it can endure in the native land. But you don't graft wild branches into a cultivated rootstock. You do the other. You You graft the cultivated branches in because they have other qualities but they don't have the hardiness necessarily or the disease resistance that the rootstock has. So Paul knows that and he speaks to the Romans and the Romans of course you know are uh, you know they are the epicenter of the um, civilized world at that point most educated most sophisticated wealthiest and most powerful uh, from a military economic point of view. And he's saying to them, but you're wild. You're not the cultivated olive tree. You're the wild olive tree. You've been grafted in and room has been made. But don't get arrogant and don't be ignorant. Neither one will, will work for your good. So Caleb, back to Caleb, he's allocated land with Judah. And there's a point, this, is made, this decision is made publicly, it's documented, it's recorded in such a way that now, several thousand years later, we have that information. He received his inheritance in this way, and it was done intentionally and appropriately. Now let's fast forward. and and switch books and go to Ezekiel chapter 47. Because I want to connect all of this to a passage in Ezekiel that talks about land allocations, but also talks about and explicitly addresses Gentiles who are loyal to the God of Israel and to the Jewish people. But more loyal than you could possibly imagine, they demonstrate loyalty under a specific case. So Ezekiel 47, starting in verse 21. And, and this is a, a, a prophetic word that describes a time when Israel is in the full measure of land that's been allocated to the kingdom of Israel, far more than the state of Israel is right now. And here's the instruction. You are to divide the land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. You are to allot it as an inheritance for yourselves. And then look at the next few words. And for the foreigners who are residing among you. But it uses the word for foreigner, the garim, which means the sojourner or the immigrant. The one who has come to settle and to live with you. 
residing among you and who's looking at their Bible can tell me the next idea. And who have children. Right. So these people who are living with you have raised their children with the people of Israel in the land of Israel. And it says, you are to consider them in the same way that you consider native-born Israelites. Along with you, they are to be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. Now, this is really important. They are not going to be ghettoized. You know what I mean by that? Okay, we'll take all of our Gentiles and we're going to put them over here. The Jews are going to live over here. The Gentiles are going to live over there. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about a kind of community life where different groups are living together. And it says it explicitly in verse 23, in whatever tribe a foreigner is residing, there you are to give them their inheritance, declares the sovereign Lord. That's how you're to do it. Pay attention to where they're living. They have to live with their children among you. That's the demonstration. Now, it doesn't mean that people without children are not faithful to God or faithful to the people, but this is very similar to what was required of Reuben and Gad, a demonstration. Do you see this? Because it's a demonstration that says, not only are we going to be faithful and are faithful, but our descendants will be faithful as well. And our loyalties will be together. They will not be divided. It's a fascinating connection. So in the eschatological future, if you can say that, in the eschatological future, there will be in the land of Israel Jews and Gentiles. Now, I know there, there are some Orthodox Jews and I don't mean all Orthodox Jews, but there are some who, who do not welcome Gentiles living in the land. And in fact, in the state of Israel today, there are, there are some uh, ultra-religious Jews who resent the fact that there are Christians and Messianic Jews living in the land today and are working to disenfranchise such people, and even to get them kicked out, to limit their rights if they stay, and so forth. And for me, that does not capture the heart of God in any way, shape, or form. But having said that, God will have the last word. He always does. And his word is, there will be a reconciliation between the Jews and the nations. And that will already be visible and be demonstrated in the land of Israel. And there will be Gentiles who have so joined themselves with the Jewish people that even though they are identified as being different from where they came from, they so belong together they have permanent inheritance, just like they were native-born. And they are like uh, children who have been adopted and then have their children that are considered part of the family. It's, it's not that there is an artifice that separates them, but they are truly their children. They get um, 
the full inheritance. So when, when I think about Ezekiel 47 and this future, and I think about Caleb getting his inheritance, and I think about Reuben and Gad um, being of uncertain loyalty and faithfulness and having to demonstrate it, then it helps me understand that in the Messianic synagogue, we have similar opportunities and similar issues. And really, it's our, it's our challenge before God to love each other with these differences and to appreciate each other with these differences, but to fit in together in such a way that God blesses us all and we don't just meld and blend. You know, God is not putting us into a giant, uh, what is it, Vitamix? You know, machine that's just going to chop us all up and blend us all together. But we will have our ethnicities preserved but our loyalties will cross all ethnic boundaries. Our loyalties to God and our loyalties to the Jewish people. And from that, our loyalties to one another. So I, I want to share that with you so that you can be thinking about it. It's like, well, I'm fitting into something that God's been working on for a long time. And there's more work to be done, but you have the opportunity to be a part of this grand plan that God has. So let's pray that our hearts will be open to him and to each other, and that he will continue to add more Jewish people to his family and his kingdom, and in the same way, add more people from every nationality who want to be joined to the God of Israel through the Messiah of Israel. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and for your grand vision. We thank you, Lord, for your commitment to us, no matter where we came from, no matter what family we were born into. You're looking for wholehearted people who will be wholehearted with you and wholehearted with your people. And we want, we want to be such people. Help us, Lord, to have open hearts towards you and to one another. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. So we're going to close with Aaron's blessing. If you're standing by yourself, I just want to ask you, move enough so that you're not. Thank you, Rabbi. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you, and may he be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Amen.